Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, friends. Mariquita Guerrera here, and I want to tell you about a marvelous book I read recently, The Wonders, which is the debut novel from author Elena Medell. Medell is better known in Spain as a poet, and wow, does that come through in her prose. I'll get into the storyline in just a bit, but I wanted to mention that the narrative here is bookended by the 2018 Women's March in Spain, which was when women in that country went on strike for the day to protest unequal treatment and wages and to draw attention to discrimination and violence against women. In a clever move by the publisher, Algonquin Books, The Wonders was released on International Women's Day this year and published in 12 different languages. I'm a bit behind in my review of this book, and I hope you'll forgive me that, but it was gorgeous and heartbreaking, and I had to take my time with it and really absorb it after I'd finished reading it. The Wonders is not a straightforward piece of fiction. It catapults back and forth through time, moving through the lives of three generations of women in and around Madrid, but really placing focus on Maria, who left her family in the 1960s and became functionally estranged from them, and Alicia, her adult granddaughter. Maria's separation from her family was catalyzed by her unexpected teenage pregnancy, the result of an affair with an older married man quite scandalous. Maria moved from the small village where she had been living in Madrid to stay with an aunt and uncle with the anticipation that she would get a job and send money back for the care of her daughter Carmen, who remained behind. Maria never regains custody of her daughter and instead grows more emotionally distant, displacing her urge for caretaking into her various jobs watching over infants or the elderly. Many years later, Alicia, Carmen's daughter, experiences a tragedy that would further shape her life and give even more cynical emotional distance between her and the rest of the world, sharpening her derision for her peers and society in general. Maria and Alicia inadvertently meet at the Women's March, Maria attending intentionally and with purpose and principle, and Alicia merely passing through, feeling contempt even in this environment. Maria seems to recognize Alicia, but Alicia disappears without confirmation, and we find ourselves at the end of the novel, somewhat unsatisfied without a firm resolution, but not exactly unpleasantly so. In fact, if Medell had wrapped up the wonders tidily, it would have seemed to run counter to her very specific style. At times reading this book, I felt like I was revisiting Elena Ferrante, an author whose unique writing style intoxicates and bewitches the reader. At other times, and one specific time that I can recall now, I felt like I was in a Robert Altman movie. Altman was a master of background discourse, evoking a very realistic scene setting, and Medell does something similar, but all the more impressive because she does it on the page and without the benefit of auditory cues. But for all her similarities, Medell is singular. Her prose is spare but effective. It is achingly evocative at times. The real thrust of this book, to my mind, however, is about money. How money puts women and marginalized groups, though specifically women in this narrative, into precarious positions, allowing others to have power over their lives. Curiously, though, there is not a strong drive to acquire wealth, which is what makes this perhaps a very un-American book. 
There are tangential themes, of course, there are. This is not a one-note novel. But money wins its way throughout both storylines and all timelines. In fact, every major event in The Wonders is catalyzed by lack of money. Alicia's father is doomed because of mounting debt. Maria becomes pregnant, loses custody of her child because of lack of familial wealth. She believes that had she come from a place of financial security, she would have been able to stay in school, would not have met Carmen's father, would not have fallen pregnant, would not have been cast out. The theme of money all came into focus for me near the end of this book in a contrasting parallel between Maria and her long-term, long-time boyfriend Pedro and Alicia and her new love interest and later spouse Nando. Esposa meaning spouse, esposa meaning handcuffs. Pedro tries to convince Maria to move in with him, tells her she has worked too hard for too long, that she will have greater comforts, she will have greater security if they live together. But Maria sees it instead as a play for power. In one of the most resonant pieces for me in the book, Maria refuses Pedro's offer of cohabitation in favor of maintaining her autonomy, no matter the cost, and rebuts his argument by saying, quote, Will I have to tell you where I'm going, who I'm going with, if I'll be coming home late? Will you want explanations if I have dinner with Conchita and Laura, and we sit around talking afterward and it gets late and I end up staying over? Will I have to call you so you don't get upset the next day? The only possibility for me when I came into this world was to get married and have kids, to cook and clean the house and maybe to work outside the home when I wasn't working in it, but I've had a different kind of life, and I don't want to let go of it. Unquote. Beautiful. Maria chooses independence and poverty over codependence and security. Not that cohabitation is codependence necessarily, but the version offered to her by Pedro certainly was. On the other hand, Alicia finds herself losing her job. Alicia has never held a relationship of any sort very long, preferring anonymous hookups to long-term connection. Nothing wrong with that either, but the way Alicia goes about it is as though wielding a weapon, building a wall. She runs into Nando sometime after time has elapsed following their first encounter. She goes home with him that night because she doesn't have the money to get home safely from the bar. It's too late. The buses would require a transfer in an unknown neighborhood. So she chooses, as many people have chosen, to chance a night with a near stranger in a warm bed. Then when he finds she has lost her job, will be losing her apartment, and asks her to move in with him, she agrees. What other choice does she have? She has no money, no assets. She accepts. I wonder how many people that will resonate with. How many people have been forced into a false decision like this, stuck in a relationship that feels like a prison because they have no key to escape. There is no money for a deposit. The housing stock is depleted. Available housing isn't connected to reliable transit. There are no good jobs. There are no jobs at all. They lack childcare, healthcare, the means to put food on the table or keep electricity on if they were to leave. Nando is not a violent man. He could be a worse man. He is manipulative in a dull and quotidian way, the kind of way that is impossible to explain or quantify, that can only be seen clearly in the accumulation of days and actions, but he is not a violent man. 
I suspect Alicia would stay with him even if he was. She uses enough violence against herself. And again, what choice does she have? Is this the most esoteric and meandering review I've ever given a book? Maybe. Probably. But The Wonders has that effect on you. It's like a seductive tranquilizer. As oppressive as the grogginess after a mid-afternoon nap, it is a gentle fever and it is beautiful. There are a million gorgeous, crystalline details in Medell's novel. Moments that humanize her characters and break your heart but keep you going along with them. Maria hiding the photos of her daughter. Alicia seen through the eyes of her classmates, her fall from grace, shifting from name-brand high-end clothes to used and worn denim. Her peers quaking comfort at coming home and knowing her father will be there, will sweep her up in his arms in a way that Alicia's father now never will. That is where we get the title for this book, The Wonders. The Little Wonders of the things we've taken for granted, suddenly shown to us as precious. For being over 250 pages, The Wonders feels like a generational saga. It is one of those titles that will cling to me for years, the kind of book I want to press into the hands of so many people so we can talk about it later over tea. It is close in and expansive and just truly lovely. Please pick it up. You'll read nothing else like it again all year. Thanks for joining me again, folks. I truly appreciate your time. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram, even though I feel conflicted about that platform, at O underscore Murray. Until next time, be well. Hi, friends. We've been asked before if we have a Patreon, and we don't. Not technically. But if you're looking to support us in that way, we do have a virtual community that's only $12 a month. You'll get access to book discussions, author chats, workshops, exclusive newsletters, blog posts, videos, and more. Connect with the feminist readers near you or just make new internet friends. There's even an app to make the experience as fun and convenient as possible. Head to feministbookclub.com join and select virtual membership or find a link in our show notes. We can't wait to meet you. Hi, everyone. Renee Powers here, and I want to tell you a little bit about our May Book of the Month and our May subscription box. So if you are new to these parts, Feminist Book Club is also a book subscription service where we pair feminist books with products from women, queer, and minority-owned businesses, and then we donate 5% of our sales to a different social justice organization each month. Our May theme is fashion and gender. And honestly, I wasn't sure which direction we'd end up going with this month's theme, but I was really excited to see where our members' votes would take us. So our members suggest titles around each theme each month, and then everyone votes to see what we will read. So actually, as the founder, I have no idea what is coming up in future boxes because our members are the ones doing the book suggesting and the voting. So we like to be as democratic as possible, as you can see. But with gender and fashion, fashion touches so many facets of our lives. I mean, in addition to gender, sexuality, respectability politics, consumerism, fat activism, environmentalism, conscious consumerism, labor rights, accessibility, just so many things that fashion touches on. And 
I have loved fashion for as long as I can remember. I actually used to work for Stitch Fix. It's one of my previous careers. <laughs> I am a recovering fast fashion addict. I made a New Year's resolution in 2020, though, that I would not purchase anything new. If I was going to purchase clothing, it would be secondhand. And I can tell you that the only thing I have purchased new have been underwear. <laughs> um, a new pair of waterproof boots because that was necessary here in Minnesota. And uh, I think I purchased a jacket as well. But all of my fashion shopping for the last two years has been secondhand. And that has been so freeing, honestly, to have some parameters where I don't feel like I'm constantly consuming. I do know that that is a privilege, just as sustainable clothing is out of the price range for a lot of folks. Not everyone can afford to spend the time, money, energy, you know, going through thrift store racks one garment at a time. And that's even if you have access to thrift stores. I mean, we've got some great thrift and vintage stores and secondhand stores here in the Twin Cities, but I know that's not the same for everyone. So I recognize that this commitment is a privilege for me and it's not something that everyone can replicate. That said, our relationship to fashion doesn't just stop with what we put on our clothes, but like what does that mean to adorn ourselves in certain ways? And what does that mean for our performance of gender? I'm so curious about that fact as well. I can't be the only one that wishes she can go naked some days because I just can't figure out like how I want to present myself to the world each day. <laughs> I've also been very into um, fashion TikToks, especially like modernizing typical millennial fashions. There are a lot of things that I didn't realize are out of style and I feel very out of sync with the rest of the world, <laughs> but like... All of the 90s fashions are coming back in style, and it's very jarring to me. <laughs> so I do hope that you'll join us this month. We have a few bonus conversations within our community um, to help us kind of figure out what fashion and gender means to us. Uh, we will be hosting the owners of Shade Beauty, which is one of our products this month as well, um, as well as the owner of Kahindo, which is a luxury sustainable fashion brand started by Kahindo Mateen, and she is African, and she imports her pieces from Africa to the U.S. And so we'll talk about what, you know, fair trade means and what sustainability looks like, especially in the luxury goods realm. But that said, our book of the month is called Consumed, and the subtitle is The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. And the author is Aja Barber. So this is the description. A call to action for consumers everywhere. Consumed asks us to look at how and why we buy what we buy, how it's created, who it benefits, and how we can solve the problems created by a wasteful system. We live in a world of stuff. We dispose of most of it as in as little as six months after we receive it. The byproducts of our quest to consume are creating an environmental crisis. Aja Barber wants to change this, and you can too. In Consumed, Barbara calls for change within an industry that regularly overreaches with abandon, creating real imbalances in the environment and the lives of those who do the work, often in unsafe conditions for very low pay, and the billionaires who receive the most profit. A story told in two parts, Barbara exposes the endemic injustices in our consumer industries and the uncomfortable history of the textile industry, one which brokered slavery, racism, and today's wealth inequality. Once these layers are peeled back, Barber invites you to participate in unlearning, to understand the truth behind why we consume the way we do, and to confront the uncomfortable feeling that we were never quite good enough, and why we fill that void with consumption rather than compassion. 
Barber challenges us to challenge the system and our role in it. The less you buy into the consumer culture, the more power you have. Consumed will teach you how to be a citizen and not a consumer. So that's the description. And I got a little pushback on TikTok for this book. And I anticipated it because as soon as this book was selected by our members, I was like, oh, this is going to be a really interesting tension, right? That I'm going to be trying to sell this book to you (laughs) with a box of completely unnecessary goodies, if I can be totally honest here. And yet it brings so many of us joy and it is a moment of connection and reflection. And so how do we consume responsibly? How do we consume consciously? And how do we shift the flows of power in this relationship? And and power here, I'm thinking of um, capital. I'm thinking of financial capital. I'm thinking of social capital, cultural capital. And what does that all mean? And so I'm hoping that this month brings up those kinds of conversations and I think it really will in our virtual community. I just I also just wanted to say like it's not lost on me that we are talking about consumerism at the same time trying to run an ethical business that relies on retail sales. So that's just such a an interesting tension and I welcome the conversation around it. That said, here are the things, the completely unnecessary but absolutely delightful things that are going to be in the May gender and fashion box. So I mentioned Shade Beauty is one of our featured brands. So we believe that good fashion begins with a great foundation and that foundation is your skin. (laughs) And so we have included a bottle of Shade Beauty's Overnight Glow Up Serum. This brand was created to prioritize the needs of melanin-rich skin. And so this means that skin concerns like hyperpigmentation, dark spots, acne scars, they're treated more effectively. And this overnight mask in particular will reduce the appearance of dark spots and post-acne marks. And Shade Beauty says, let your skin glow up while you sleep. I think that is so cute. I love a good skincare mask. And I can tell you, I've been using this myself, even as someone that isn't melanin rich. I am a very pale woman. It still feels phenomenal on my skin. It is so moisturizing and so lovely and it feels very luxe. And it should. It's a $54 <laughs> bottle of skincare. But we have included it in this month's box. The next completely useless but totally delightful item (laughs) that you will find in your box is a set of drag queen postcards by the artist Timmery. And who is more fashionable than drag queens? Seriously. I love drag. We celebrate drag as this brilliant intersection of gender and fashion and performance. And these Timmery postcards are such a fun way to share some glamour in the mail. And Timory's namesake multi-passionate entrepreneur, Timory, specializes in creative stationery and accessories. Natalia, our editor-in-chief, mentioned on Instagram that the drag queen postcards are reminiscent of Lisa Frank folders, and I couldn't agree more. Timory's style is absolutely Lisa Frank-esque, and I think that's why I'm drawn to it. <laughs> So the next product, I would say this is necessary, (laughs) but then again, I have such a sweet tooth. Our next product are gummy, sour gummy rings from a company called Sucker and Sweet. And honestly, like we were thinking about sending real rings. We wanted to send some sort of jewelry in this box, Um, but sizing would be so difficult. I mean, and I always found that like expandable rings are just like they're always catching on my hair or my sweater and it's just like no I don't mm -mm, I'm not gonna do that so we decided gummy rings (laughs) 
<laughs> would be appropriate. So Sucker and Sweet is owned by married couple Greer and Michael, and they source their candies from all over the world. I don't know if you know, but Scandinavia is kind of the, the land of gourmet gummies. And so these are sourced from the Netherlands and Denmark, I believe. And they are so good. We have gone through a couple of bags already personally, and I am just a sucker for gummies. And these are like delightfully sour and, and really tasty, really flavorful. They're going to be your new favorite reading snack. And we do have a vegan option available. So if that's you, email us hello at feministbookclub.com and we'll put a note in your account that you are vegan and we will send you vegan treats. The last product that you'll find in our May gender and fashion box is a keychain from B. Waltz. And B. Waltz reminds me so much of Claire's, but like better. <laughs> they have a simple mission, stay adventurous, laugh often, and have fun. These tassel keychains are so whimsical. They'll add just a little bit of color to your tote bag, to your backpack, to your fanny pack, to your keys, wherever. And we've got a bunch of different styles, so it'll be really exciting to see what you get. And as you know, 5% of every sale is donated to a different social justice organization each month. This month, we are donating to the Clean Clothes Campaign. So the Clean Clothes Campaign is a global network of over 235 organizations operating in over 45 countries, connecting across the garment and sportswear industry, linking home-based worker organizations, grassroots unions, women's organizations, trade unions, all of those kind of working within labor rights to organizations, NGOs, activists in both the garment producing and consumer market countries. So their work is really worker centered. They can, they're really nimble. They can identify local problems and objectives and transform them into global actions. And they offer direct solidarity support to the workers fighting against specific workers' rights violations. To ensure the fundamental rights of workers are respected, the Clean Clothes Campaign educates consumers and lobbies companies and governments at a regional and national scale. All members, partners, and associates of this organization are dedicated to empowering workers to improve the working conditions of the global garment and sportswear industries. This is fantastic. So on their website, they actually have a postcard that you can mail to a retailer or brand or give to a retailer in person that asks them questions about the supply chain. We have printed those postcards and we're putting them in the box as well. And they're really great. They're really simple. You just put your name, what you're concerned about, and you just either mail it off or hand it to the retailer. And it at least brings a little bit of intentionality to the exchange. So clean clothes campaign, can't say enough good things about them. That is the recipient of our 5% donation this month. So if that interests you, if you're interested in these kinds of conversations, we would love to have you. You can head to feministbookclub.com slash join. That is the easiest way to join us. Use code podcast for $5 off. And uh, we look forward to meeting you and talking about consumerism and capitalism and fashion and gender and all of the things. It's going to be such a great month. I'm really excited for it. And I hope you are too. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. 
and check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature.